Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. I am John Ledyard. Joining me today on the show, which is energized by our friends over at Celsius, is the one and only Greg Alman. I said legendary on Twitter, and you said, I may not know what that word means. What is the, how should, if you could pick one word to describe yourself, Greg, to be introduced as, what would you choose? I need no adjectives at all. I appreciate it. It's very nice. <laughs> Legendary, I'm just not there yet. That's all. <laughs> I don't know how many years you have your icon in. out. Uh, icon, too much. Too icon, much. way too much. That Happy was to be on. <laughs> Well, we're glad to have you on for sure because we've got a lot to talk about. I mean, Bucks Falcons, obviously, it was a matchup that always draws the interest of a lot of Bucks fans. But more so than that, you know, it's this, this weird word playoffs that Bucks fans aren't quite used to. And that I, I'm sure, how long have you covered the team, Greg? And is this the first playoff run since you've? Pretty much. I mean, I've been on since 13 full time and like 16, okay. they were there. I mean, 16, they were within a tiebreaker getting in. So it was there, okay. but not like week 15 scenarios there by any means. Okay. All right. So this is a little bit new territory for a lot of right. us. So, I mean, it's, it's been fun. It's been really enjoyable. Um, and, I, but I think that there's still this kind of desire for, okay, what's, what's more, how much can this team get done? You know, is the Super Bowl realistic? You know, there's seven teams getting the playoffs in the AFC and the NFC this year. So we've got, we'll cover all that ground. We'll also talk about the off season and some of the pending free agents, lots of big name free agents, and it's all going to be brought to you by our good friends over at Celsius. Celsius energizes and powers lives every day. I've got my Celsius heat. The jackfruit is the one that I'm trying right now. Scott, I don't think has even tried this one yet. He's Scott's has a new flavor, Greg. Like literally every time we go in the air. I mean, I, I think the guy has tried like 50 flavors. It's it's crazy. Um, jackfruit is is one of my favorites so far. I think. First of all, I got them in this a little bit of a bigger bottle, so there's a little bit more to it. These ones are 16 ounces, so I really have enjoyed it so far, though. I mean, I honestly, you know, I feel like I'm kind of being a little bit cliche in saying this, but I really haven't had one that I dislike so far, and I know I maybe it feels like I'm supposed to say that, but I didn't really expect to like any of them uh, just because I don't drink pop. I don't drink energy drinks. I don't drink any of that kind of stuff, but no sugar in these. Uh, you know, I, I the, the fact that I can drink them and feel a boost of energy but then also not feel like the bloated feeling that I get. That's why I don't drink soda at all. I hate that feeling. And these don't give me that at all, but they still taste great. Uh, and they accelerate metabolism, burn fat. They're great before my workouts. We've had tons of fans start start drinking them and, and messaging us on Twitter about them and uh, telling us their favorite flavors and what they're trying this week. It has been a blast to have Celsius as a, as a sponsor of the Peter Report podcast. We're pumped about them. And if you're interested, you can order them online, you know, even if they're not in an area around you, or you can go look at Celsius.com and, and pull up the store locator and try to figure out uh, where you can buy some of those uh, Bucks fans. But they are really providing some great stuff and they've been a ton of fun to have as a sponsor uh, this season. So we've, we've really, really enjoyed it. Greg, we've got a lot of ground to cover in this, in this podcast. One of the things I wanted to ask you about to start is just what this season has been like for you. I am a first year covering the Bucs. I covered the Steelers for years uh, in Pittsburgh and coming to the Bucs, I have lots of like thoughts and observations about how different it is and in a lot of different arenas. But I'm just curious to hear from you as somebody who's covered the Bucs for a long time, has this year, other than obviously the COVID stuff has made this year different, but other than that kind of stuff, has this year felt different level of expectation, talent kind of, has that year, has this year felt different as it been what you expected it to be on the field for the box. Yeah, different in, in like every aspect, it can be different um, from the logistics of COVID and a million Zoom calls. And, uh, you know, Tom Brady's been here nine months. We haven't really seen him in person, haven't got within 10 feet of him. Uh, there's no one-on-ones, there's no face-to-face. Uh, same with Bruce. Like, again, it's it's all pretty much online and Zoom. So you picked the right year and that you had so much of this year, you weren't even in state. Yep. And we're pretty much in position to do everything you want to do from here. So it worked out well for you that way. But away from COVID, just in terms of the team itself and the change there, I think there's so much more um, interest from casual football fans, from casual Bucks fans, relevance outside the market, um, like the radio hits. You know, I think I do a lot of radio hits are all over. So, like, you'll you'll be intrigued when you're doing one in, like, Auburn, Alabama, because there's three Tigers on the Bucks, or you'll get a call from, you know, Fargo or something. And with Brady this year, like, 
it's all fair game. I'm doing a BBC hit tomorrow in England. Uh, I think I did like three Canadian affiliates in one one week last back in like September. So there's just there's interest all over the world in anything that Tom Brady does and anything that Gronk does. And so the, like the the like I said, the level of relevance, and you see that too, just in terms of games. I mean, primetime games, Monday Night Football games. Just I, I wasn't aware before this year of like the sheer vitriol for the Joe Buck, Troy Aikman crew. And like you tweet out that those guys have the game and it's like, oh, there's just all these oh, people. Yeah. And I really because like no one really cared that much when Dick Stockton was calling the game. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, very much everything's different. That's interesting. You know, I mean, coming from covering the Steelers, like that part of it. And and I covered the NFL draft for years. Right. So like it was kind of funny. Like I went I was like, OK, I'm covering the Bucks now. Like. I'm not going to be on a lot of these like national shows or like shows in other markets anymore. And so like, and I have a lot of friends that, you know, over the years I've been on a lot of those shows, uh, you know, doing, doing radio spots and things like that. And then pretty soon it was like, Hey, can you come on our show? And I'm like, what? <laughs> You're like literally don't have anything to do with the bugs. You know, it was places in like, like you said, Alabama, like places like this that have nothing to do. And they're like, well, the bucks are just a hot button team. Like we just want to talk about them and, and we want you. So I was like, so it was kind of cool. Cause I still got to do a lot of those radio spots that, I like to do, but you're right. Like the national attention on the Bucks is probably bigger than it's ever been. I mean, even when they were in the Super Bowl, you know, they won the Super Bowl years ago. Like, right, like yeah. it didn't come with all this beforehand. There, you know, it, it was a defensive team, and there were, certainly there were good players on offense. But right, and the media cycle these days. I mean, with social media and everything, it's just a, it's a totally different animal too. So it's it's been a lot of fun. It's been really interesting. You and I were kind of joking before, um, you know, before that we went live about how different it's been. We're on these media calls and we're always like trying to, we, a lot of times we have to wait, right? Like they're like, Oh yeah, we're on at one. And then somebody will come on and talk, you know, Byron Leftwich today was on and he's on for like 10 minutes. And then we wait like an hour for Todd Bowles. And sometimes it's five minutes and we never really know going in. So we're constantly trying to find ways to like entertain ourselves. And part of that has been like the, this new COVID era. We're trying to like check out everybody's background, like that has their camera on, right. And see what's going on. And so you've been able to spot. I remember one of the first ones you were like, I had a football behind me. It might still. Yeah. Here it is right here. Yeah, like, who, who's that football again? Is it Rodney or something? Hans Ward. Hans Ward. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, you so got I, the helmets there. You got, yeah. Yeah. You got like a I have the most boring backdrop ever. This is just like the corner of my kitchen. This is like, there's not going to be spoiled milk behind me. My kids aren't going to run past naked. That's all that's important to me. There's so many people that have these amazing, like, it, all the ESPN people have these lawyer law library bookshelves behind them, and it's War and Peace over here, and the full Tolkien collection over there. I don't have any of that. I just have yeah. this. Like, I had originally, I had like an A right here, which kind of looks like the athletic A, but it's just A because my last oh, name is A. Was, I was going to say, I thought it was A for Almond. I never made it. It's just A for Almond, but it's close to that weird script A the athletic has. So I figured it has like dual purposes. But now it's just it's whatever holiday thing is you replaced it with. So it's seasonal. But yeah, yeah. I, I, and it's like the lighting's terrible because there's always light coming through these windows where I'm kind of backlit. Oh, lighting has been a trip. It's just so funny the things we have to think about like daily on this on on our jobs that we never thought about before. Like don't eat on camera. That's my main. I forget because you're like I said, you're on, and we'll have we'll know that like Arians is at one. Yep. But then it'll be like two hours of kind of just zoom purgatory where you're like waiting for a player or a coach and i'll, I'll go over and i'll do laundry over here and i'll kind of hear something oh that bulls is yep. on you come on you get the recorder and you know, okay we're getting but a lot of it you're just and it's like all right hold on i'm gonna eat some hummus hold on a uh, zoom all right stop video it's like all right check my teeth all right i'm back on now and then there's like 12 people that are watching you while you're doing this but you don't want to sit there and yeah, exactly right. You know, and some people don't have the same awareness that you do, Greg, as right. we've learned the, the hard way this season. But it's been a lot of fun, but it is going to be – I think we're all going to just be pumped when we're back in the media room together. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, I hope we get everything back. That's the thing is that it's like now that they've seen they don't have to do open locker room, now that they don't have to do guys on a podium, yeah. I hope that we don't just stay with this forever. I'm hoping that a year from now, even two years from now, it's kind of back to what we thought was normal back in the day. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the concern. I mean, I think everybody's kind of like, okay, what, what changes in terms of, of media access as things move forward? Because the NFL knows they can get away with a lot and not lose a lot of people's interest. And so, and you know, they want more team control over media stuff than ever before too. And so there's a lot that folks like us, you know, we're not bemoaning. We love our jobs and we love our, our situations. Obviously we know a lot of people would 
we'd kill to be doing what, the kind of stuff that we're doing. But at the same time, like there is that challenge of trying to do our jobs to the best of our ability, knowing that not always are we getting the help that we that we would like uh, during those times too. But I also want to talk about kind of what's in the future, not only for us in the media, but for the Bucks as well, Greg. I mean, we spend a lot of time on this show, obviously during game weeks, talking about the next game and just kind of having that singular focus. But I would like to talk about like the big picture for the Bucks right now. Like, I mean, first, you know, we are going to talk about this offseason and the pending free agents and and you know who you think we the Bucks could bring back and all those kind of things. But one of the things that I really want to want to talk about is this Super Bowl window. You know, everyone's kind of saying, okay, we think the Bucks are a good team this year, but I don't think much, many Bucks fans would put a lot of money on them winning the Super Bowl. Uh, part of part of the problem is. The NFC, you know, has a bunch of tough teams at the top. The Saints and the Rams who've already handled the Bucs. Uh, you know, the, the Packers have been handled by the Bucs but are formidable and playing better uh, consistently well right now. Um, and so, you know, they kind of look at those teams and say, Seattle's got this juggernaut offense. Is this going to be the year? Is it going to take one more year? Obviously, we'll see. And first things first, getting to the playoffs is going to be the thing that really matters. But just curious, what do you see as the window on this team? Because this isn't your typical, like, older veteran team that has this short window, they just have an older quarterback. And so I wonder kind of if the window might be a little bit different than a lot of these teams, like, you know, for instance, the Steelers who kind of are making a run of it now, it feels like, and this is kind of, this is kind of it for them. And then they'll obviously have to flip a huge page with a lot of their roster. So just curious what your thoughts are on this window for the Bucks, And if it's as short as people seem to think it is. Yeah, I tend to think, I mean, it's definitely this year and next year. I think everybody of note will be back. I mean, they can't afford to keep everybody back. It's just from a salary salary cap standpoint. But I think they can get by with most of these guys back next year. I mean, like you said, it's a fairly young team. They've got decisions to make um, in terms of, I mean, you think about just the top like five. I think there's probably five guys on this team that are NFL top 50 free agents. So um, if they all want to get paid, they could lose a lot of them. Now, if a lot of them like what they had this year and, and hopefully for them, uh, there's some playoff component to it with Brady where you want to come back to be a part of that. So like Godwin and Shaq Barrett and Labonte David and Ndamukong Sue, and then you get to Gronk and Antonio Brown and all these other uh, guys that seem like secondary, but they're absolutely core people, especially as it relates to Brady. Um, they can't keep them all. So you have to hope that there's some level of uh, not necessarily like hometown discount, but just not needing to get the max offer you can get. Um, right. Some of these guys, there's, I mean, like, I think at the start of last year, I think there were two bucks that were 30 and older on the team, maybe three. And that was it. And there's like 13 now um, <laughs> to where there, there's definitely going to be some guys that are uh, on the way down the hill instead of up the hill. And you have to kind of be aware of that when you're doing contracts, because it's kind of like just because someone made something last year doesn't mean they're necessarily worth that this year. So I think yeah. they'll they'll have to deal with that. And wherein this is a team that probably had to pay more in the past because they weren't winning and you had to pay enough to compete with the contender. Now they are. Now they, are, they have a winning record. They're all but assuredly a playoff team. Now that works in their favor. Now, if things are right, they shouldn't have to overpay to keep guys. They shouldn't have to overpay to bring guys in. There's going to be a whole other wave of former Brady teammates that might be involved in coming here that probably aren't going to need to get paid a terrible amount to, to rejoin Tom Brady. If, if the Patriots are a sub 500 team. Right. I'm curious, as you mentioned, you know, not being able to maybe bring everybody back and bringing back some guys that, you know, like you said, they're going to be on, on kind of the downward slope, not the upward slope anymore. And, and that's something you absolutely have to think about as a general manager It is not just about what a guy did this past season. It's about what you can realistically expect them to do in the future. You know, Shaq Barrett, kind of a good example of that. And I'm just curious about what your thoughts are for him this season. Obviously, coming off a really good game, and he's really kind of picked things up the last few games, eight sacks. I think he's pretty much a lock for another double-digit sack year, which obviously isn't leading the league in sacks like he did a year ago. But he's proven that he's a good player, and someone's going to pay Shaq Barrett a lot, especially at that position and in another draft where it doesn't look like there's a ton of great edge talent. So you have to weigh Shaq Barrett's cost at, at, a, at a premium position against Levante David and Chris Godwin's cost. Those are the three big names, right? You mentioned five guys who are going to be in the top 50. I'm assuming the others are probably Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski if they want to play. Right. Are those the five you're kind of thinking of? Or, or Sue. Sue's probably in that. I mean, he's getting up there in age. Yeah, but with, I mean, he's in that six to eight million dollar range probably. Right. So focusing on those three big ones right now, if, you, if you're looking at those three and you're saying – I can bring back two of three. Um, and I think with the cap being lower, 
it's going to be hard. There, you know, there could be a restructure of Donovan Smith, a restructure of Brian Jensen, moving on from one of those guys. Uh, you know, what? How do you view kind of the situation with those three? And if you can only bring back two of Chris Godwin, Shaq Barrett, and Levante David, who would you personally? Who would Greg Alman uh, prioritize? It's really hard, and you have to look at it's not just who you are. Like you said, it's who can they replace you with. Um, and, like, I, I feel like you're way ahead of me in terms of mock drafts, but, I, I mean, I feel like pass rusher is the absolute number one priority for this team. Yeah. First round, especially picking late, picking mid-late 20s. Um, there's good guys um, that I think are a good match for them in, in late first round as pass rushers, but you can't expect a pass rusher to come in and play – 85% of the defensive snaps like a Shaq Barrett is playing right now, like JPP is playing. I think they have to address the position, but can you do that? I mean, if you're starting by letting Shaq go, he's like you said, he's going to get paid. I feel like I had no expectation of him coming close to 19 sacks this year. Um, that was an amazing year last year, but he had like nine before people even knew who he was. Right. So I feel like this year at pro football focus just put out a tweet like yesterday or today, or he's second in the NFL in pressures. It's like TJ Watt and then him in the entire league. So yeah. he's still getting it done. It's just not resulting in in sacks. And he's had a couple games this year where there was one game uh, a month ago, maybe, where like the Bucks had two picks and he had the pressure on both picks. He didn't get the sacks, yeah. but he was absolutely the instigator in the turnover. So, yeah, I think Shaq Barrett is right. I mean, Chris Godwin, again, they have so many receivers. It's hard to pay two receivers $15 million. But Chris Godwin is still ascending, is is a hugely reliable player to where you'd think uh, you'd think it's a franchise tag in the least. The franchise tag is kind of a good deal this year because the cap's going down, so it's a little cheaper. That would be a one-year, keep Chris Godwin around for the year, and then you can decide, do you keep him? Do you trade him for picks? Do you keep him and trade Mike Evans? It, it's hard to pay two top-tier receivers, but when you got Tom Brady as a quarterback, you, you kind of want to maximize the guys he's throwing to. So it's, it's really hard. Levante David – my question anytime talks about Levante is what do you pay him? What's his value? Because right. he's making $10 million a year right now. But if you look at the history of linebackers, inside linebackers, his age in the NFL, there's not a lot that keep playing at a high level. Um, right. And this team certainly has a history of putting expiration dates on their defensive leaders when they hit a certain age. Yeah. And it, as, as unthinkable as it is to let Levante David go, uh, we had a podcast 10, 12 years ago. Oh, there's no way they're letting Sapp go. There's no way they're letting Lynch go. There's no way – you know, Brooks is going to get told he can't come back. They've done that with a lot of better players than David. So as absolutely central a leader he is and a core player in this defense is, there's going to be a dollar value where they say, sorry, I don't think that, I don't think you're worth that. And they right. got to figure that out. And they haven't always handled the high profile, iconic player exits very well. So you hope <laughs> that Levante has earned the right to, to have things work out for him. I, I don't know what that number is like spot track, does uh, market values and they have Levante's market value at like $13.4 million a year, which is that a 30%, 30% raise from what he made in like age 26 to 30, which is like prime linebacker years. If he gets $13 million a year, I'm, I'm really happy for him. I don't know if that's going to be in Tampa. If that's the case. So whether he's, right. a, yeah, if he's a $10 million guy, I can see him staying here. If he's a $13 million a year guy, I don't, I don't know that this team will be committed to, to paying him that right now. Right. I don't know yeah, this, those, but it seems like a lot. Yeah, you have to yeah. consider all that stuff because it's all part of the picture, right? I mean, this is not Levante David's age. You know, he's going to be 31 in January. You know, it's just one of those – it's just there's a reality with the position. Now, Levante David, to me, is one of the best four linebackers in the league. Like, I, you know, I've said that on the show. I think that he's awesome. But that goes to what you're saying. And even with Shaq Barrett, you know, he's young enough that you – you could pay him in this window probably, but a five-year deal would might be pushing it. I mean, Jack Barrett right. peaked later in his career, so maybe you think he's a little bit fresher, but the reality is age kind of tends to hit that position regardless. And so you have to think about all those things when you're offering this kind of money. Now, we'll say one of the things with Devontae David, um, I think Spotrack could be on the high end of that projection just because the position kind of is, is one that has not always – bumped up every year kind of like you know our cornerbacks stalled out until this right. past offseason right like they weren't right. going anywhere basically for a that, while that revis deal was like the high mark for cornerbacks for like six years like no right. one trumped it it stayed at 16 million and even your best guys were like 15 now of course there's guys getting 20 million dollars a year now but for a long time it was like the bucks didn't realize they were going to set a record back in 2013 paying what right. they paid him 
it's just such a unique situation with Levante David because not many guys are going in a contract still playing at a high level, but also going to be right. 31 and also in the COVID era where the cap is going to be lower and teams just probably may not be willing to shell out what they once were for even for a good, really good linebacker. And it could be a similar situation with Chris Godwin. Like Chris Godwin is hitting the market at a time where the wide receiver free agency is going to be unbelievable. And the draft is going to be unbelievable for like a third straight year at wide receiver. And so it's kind of like, is the market value for this guy? I mean, you look at some of the guys that have gotten paid recently that are top end receivers in the league. Godwin isn't going to come close to that. I mean, he just isn't. He's not going to come close to twenty million a year like some of those other guys have gotten recently. And we think about Godwin in those terms because of how he played last season and how he's played when he's healthy this season. But he's not going to have a thousand yards this season, and teams aren't going to pay twenty million a year for a guy with one one thousand yard season. So it might behoove him and the team for the franchise tag to be placed on him, right? I mean, don't you think that could be a realistic option this offseason? And to me, if I, if, I, if I looked at it right now, I would say that's where it starts. If yeah. you keep Godwin for another year, um, I don't even know where, like, the Antonio Brown factor comes into this. If he came back, I don't know what he'd be willing to play for. He's definitely not a $2 million receiver, uh, but he hasn't necessarily been 2018 Antonio Brown either. So, yeah, Chris Godwin, if the franchise tag for receiver is, like, one year, $16 million, that gives you a lot of leverage. you got another year to try and negotiate with him. It's hard to keep him and Mike Evans both long-term making that much money. The only team in the NFL that's really paying two receivers that much is, is Cleveland with, with Landry uh, and with Beckham. And there's, there's just not a lot of models where that works. But again, if you have a pass-crazy offense and a quarterback at the end of his career who wants to have the best targets possible, maybe you do pay more than most teams do to have two elite top-tier receivers like they want to have with those two. One of the reasons I think the Bucs were so excited about getting Tyler Johnson in this past draft, and Bruce Arians has kind of said this, is that they view him as having as being kind of like a Chris Godwin light type right. of player. And so, like, if you had to move on from, it's kind of like, okay, money ball situation. Can we kind of replace him, what he does with guys like Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson as a package kind of thing? But like you said, I think that what would behoove them most, especially with Brady maybe playing one more year, maybe two after this, we'll see what happens. But let's franchise tag him and then figure out down the road, you know, after this next season. If he goes off and has 1,500 yards and he's, you know, best receiver in the NFL again, then maybe he's like, all right, we have to make hard decisions and see if we want to keep two of these guys. Um, or maybe he's himself out. You don't know. But I think you'd like to be able to keep him. It's a reasonable tag. You'd like to be able to keep him on the tag for a year and then develop Scotty Miller and Tyler Johnson for another year. And if those guys take off and Godwin's still playing great, maybe you're like, you know what, buddy, you price yourself out. Like, we love you to death but we think we can replace you with a combination of these two guys. And obviously what Mike Evans brings to the table, you draft somebody else, you sign somebody else, you know, but it's, it might be something like that type of a situation, but I don't know about you, Greg, I cannot see them saying, all right, Chris Godwin, we're going to let you walk this off season. When you listen to them talk about Chris Godwin, it just seems like they love him. Oh, absolutely. And again, off the field, he and Mike both do everything you want. Yeah. A receiver can be a really, really diva position, a really drama position. And it isn't. We don't realize how fortunate the Bucks are to have two guys who are as selfless and as team oriented. And I mean, Mike Evans is literally the team's man of the year. But you look and it's like, look at receivers across the league. They all get traded. DeAndre Hopkins got traded for yeah. almost nothing. Um, you know, Amari Cooper got traded. Cook. Brady Cooks has yeah. been traded like three times. Um, <laughs> so there's there's really talented receivers. And if you can get a one for him in like year four, he's gone. And it's yeah. cold, but it's how the league operates. So um, it's like you, you tell fans that and like they can't imagine a world in which, you know, the Bucs don't have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin to throw to. It's, it's a luxury to have right. two elite receivers like that. And you can't if you keep them both and pay them both, it's at the expense of of having even average level talent at other positions. Yeah, and especially depth. I mean, you mentioned Antonio Brown, and Leonard Fournette is is another name that we throw out there. Rob Gronkowski, you know, I use the term depth. He'll be maybe the you know quote unquote starter, but OJ Howard obviously factors into that as well, and I'm sure they'd like him to factor in pretty heavily next season. But you know, I, I say all that to say, okay, let's look at these three names. You know, Antonio Brown, uh, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, and Leonard Fournette. I think everybody, Leonard Fournette's out of here, right? Like this is, I mean, yeah. Well, once he was, yeah, once he was inactive yeah. in a crucial game in December, there's no way you'd even pay what you paid him this year to to right. do that. And he'll right. want a bigger right. role. He won't want to be somebody's third down back. He's been a thousand yard rusher for three years. He'll, yeah. I don't think he'll get as much as he would have, you know, if he had been a free agent this past off season. But he can get a a one or two year deal where some team will make him their primary back, and he'll have a chance to 
reestablish himself as a as a thousand yard bell cow running back. God help that team. But yes, yeah. for that audio after this year. It might just be me, Greg, but I can't even take seriously an Antonio Brown. Like I know when I said I said a couple weeks ago, Drew, there's just no way. Like there's no chance Antonio Brown's back with this team. Like it, this season was like, a, okay, we're signing you for eight games, and we can literally cut you at any point. There's nothing guaranteed. But Antonio right. Brown's not taking nothing guaranteed. But like you're going to sign him, you're going to guarantee that man money with a whole off season between you and when he gets back on in the field. There's no way you can do it, right? You can't trust him to that extent, right? He didn't have a touchdown yet. Like, yeah, like this is game six for him. He hasn't hit the end zone. He, he's barely averaged 10 yards a, a catch. So he's yeah. been, uh, I asked Byron today and Byron said he's done everything I asked. Normally you'd ask a guy to do more than that with the credentials that Antonio Brown has. So if he's content with that, if he's okay being a, a number three possession type receiver, getting five catches for 44 yards and wants to be paid $2 million next year, bring him back. I, that doesn't sound like Antonio Brown to me. I, I think he, I think he's he's had the rehab aspect of this season for him, where he hasn't done anything completely insane in the last six weeks. Um, doesn't have any new unresolved legal problems to where, you know, he's not as radioactive as he used to be. If he wants to go somewhere and get two years and fifteen million dollars from a team with the expectation of being a, a thousand yard receiver and an eight touchdown receiver. He can kind of be that guy again. He hasn't really shown it with the Bucks, but he's got a lot of talented guys around him here too. Right. Yeah, it's it's one of those situations where I just – you can't – I mean, it's one thing to take a risk in the middle of the season when you know you're bringing Antonio Brown right onto the field, and that's it, and you just have to have him lock in, COVID era. He's not going anywhere anyway, you're hoping. And, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, we can control this environment for a, 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 a window of time that we think gives us the best chance to get a super get to a Super Bowl, especially if something were to happen, God forbid, to Mike Evans or Chris Godwin. But long long term, I mean, he might want more than one year deal. He might want a two year deal, and then you're going to guarantee him any amount of money. Like I just don't think they can even be a consideration for Antonio Brown. Rob Gronkowski, on the other hand, is very interesting, Greg. I think he might be one of the most interesting free agent cases of the offseason. There are still a lot of teams I think that would like to have Rob Gronkowski. He still blocks. He still can play. There's no doubt about it. Production's been really good, even in an offense that spreads the ball around a ton. Like he's this guy still has it. And I mean, you could make the argument with how how the tight end position has struggled in the league and how much teams covet that position that he could generate some buzz. But here's the thing: Does Rob Gronkowski want to play anywhere? Does he want to go somewhere else and play anywhere else? I don't think so. Right? That's the thing. No. Yeah. I mean, again, like even if you have a good situation where you're like Rob, you know, this will be here's three years, thirty five million dollars. Come, you know, finish your career with a winning team, yeah. it's not going to have Brady as a quarterback. Right. And, and that's probably where the conversation starts for him. You know, <laughs> is Tom going there too? And, and then from a Buck standpoint, you have that leverage of like, hey, we're the only team that has Tom Brady. So yeah. maybe you're not a $10 million tight end. Maybe you're a $6 million tight end. Right. Um, it's one of those. So it's really tricky because you're, in theory, you're not competing with anyone. As long as you yeah. have Brady as your quarterback – and he loves Tampa, right? He loves Tampa. He seems to like Tampa. I mean, I feel like this year, I don't know what your expectations were, but to see him having a Gronk spike in the end zone, I mean, initially the first couple of weeks, it was like, oh, I'm not sure what he has. He's got like six touchdowns now. He's, he's done well. I would think both of them, I mean, it was funny because you went in and it was Brady was a two-year deal. Gronk only had one year. I would think you expect him back. And I don't think he, I don't think he cost him nearly as much as he did this year to get to come back next year. Right. Yeah. I think that same exact thing. I mean, I, you know, everybody's like, Oh, you know, they're not going to be able to pay Gronk 10 mil. Well, they're not going to have to, like, that's not what he's going to cost next year. It doesn't matter whether he's somebody else will offer Gronk more. I have no doubt about that, but I just, you know, like you said, I think the bucks have all the leverage and that really matters in these situations. And and I don't know if Gronk even cares about the, like he's not wired like everybody else in the league. Like he just isn't, I think not at this right. point. It's true. Like, Even if I you had like a big market like Los Angeles or somewhere, he'd be an absolute star. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he knows how he's going to interact with Jared Goff or yeah. Justin Herbert or anybody new. He's had mm-hmm. one guy for his entire career. He, he's a monogamous tight end. Mm-hmm. And you're asking him to, hey, come out. You know, Minneapolis is beautiful this time of year. I don't think he's going to find out. Right. I agree. Yeah. So I think it's a unique situation with him where he could be back. And I almost think the same thing about Indomitian Sue. I mean, Indomitian Sue is the second oldest defensive tackle to take a snap in the NFL this season. And Steve McClendon's the first and they're both on the box. Right. So I kind of look at Sue's situation and I say, man, I mean, here's a guy who's made a ton of money. I mean, he's made 
so much money and off the field he makes it i mean he outside of football he's going to be so successful too and he knows that and so to me like the sue situation comes down to like does he is he done after this year does he just want to retire i mean he sue does not think like other players think kind of like gronk but in totally different ways like sue is i mean he this guy is like peak intelligence in the nfl like he knows exactly what's going on off the field he knows what smart decisions to make with his body i mean he this guy is tuned in. He is, this is a job for him. Like he puts it in, puts in the hours every single day, a year round uh, to be able to be in this kind of shape. And so eventually, you know, I think he could say like, Oh, I'm done. Or he could come back for one more year. You know, this is our window. I see it as two year or two year window. Right. And I want to be back for, for that. I mean, is yeah, that I mean, kind of the other thing with Sue is that he's got twins coming in March. That's the month he has to make decide on, on free agency. And you, become a dad with twins that's that's a big part of your life and it's like do you do you want to be working because it's the amount of time you have to spend with your kids is radically different between retired and playing 85 percent of the snaps or whatever he plays for a defensive football team so it's a big question mark and and i mean i I feel like his play has not dropped off i mean he's had sacks he's had pressures um he's probably handled not having vita vea next to him as well as you could expect yeah um to where he's still playing at high level. I, yeah. I, I don't think what I would tell you is that wherein before this year, I, I mean, he could have very well, he gets this rep as a mercenary where he's just going to go somewhere else, take another deal. I don't think he relocates and finishes his career somewhere else. I would think it's back with the Bucks or done. And I think those are the two things. And if the Bucks know that again, maybe you don't have to pay him $6 million this year. Right. Maybe it's four or five and there's a little bit less and that frees up a little bit more room for somebody else. But I guess that Sue's playing at a high level. He's got great things going on with the family coming up where if he wants to go out on top with whatever the Bucks do this week, I, that, that wouldn't be anything bad for him either. Right. Yeah. He's got a kind of a couple options in front of him. But like you said, I agree. It's kind of retirement, in my opinion, or back to the Bucks. And again, that gives the Bucks some leverage. So they have some leverage with some of the depth type of pieces. I love Sue. I think he's played really well this year. I don't think that you go into next year counting on Sue to be a major guy. I think the D-line, like you said, it's a priority in this year's draft and offseason like you've got to get better talent and more depth and younger talent I think in that group uh, especially with Pierre Paul and McClendon and Sue all those guys getting near the end and even Golson getting up there in age too as good a year as he's had I want to talk about cap casualties a little bit uh you know guys who could potentially be either cut or maybe restructured or something like that this offseason but uh, a good question from our friends over at the loose cannons podcast big shout out uh to these guys um, if you guys could choose one player on defense, who do you think would be a cap casualty but won't actually hurt the team in their run in 2021, who would it be? This was a tough one for me as I saw it come up here in the comments section and appreciate them for the super chat donation especially. But, man, one player on defense, I can think of a bunch of names to talk about an offense You know that, that could – and we'll talk about them in a second, guys like Ron Jensen and Donovan Smith and obviously one is Cameron Bright. But defensively, Greg, can you think of anybody who – could be a cap casualty that won't hurt the team right now. That would really I mean, save them. The guy, the guys that are expensive decisions are free agents. So you wouldn't even right. be cutting them. It'd be, do you resign Levante? Do you pay Sue to come back? Those types. I mean, Will Golston is under contract. Um, I don't know that he's a $6 million player, but he's probably playing better in this defense than he had at a higher salary much earlier when they kept him. So I, I feel like Will Golston is, undervalued they love him. The, yeah when you have the number one run defense in the nfl he's probably your most prolific tackler against the run still gets to the quarterback i think he has more quarterback hits than anyone on this team especially so, this year yeah. yeah so like a year ago he felt like someone who was legitimately on the bubble gosh do they keep him i think he's earned that now i think he's back um especially they have to guard against if if sue isn't there golston is now your your veteran anchor on that line he he's the the wiser guy who's going to help Vea be who he is in this league you know i, I don't know if steve mcclendon uh, he might very well be done after this year or if he's back he's probably not very expensive that much but um th- there's not a ton of cheap cuts on defense right now all the dbs are young on rookie contracts if anything you have to get ready to start paying those guys in a year or two right i mean especially Carl davis and you know i looked at jordan whitehead just to, to see but He's not making very much money, and so I don't. I again, I don't know that there is right. And Mike Edwards, same deal. And you know, Jordan Whitehead's really. I think he's been one of the biggest. Like, not many players on this team, but I'd say have surprised me. He surprised me. I have not expected. He's played really well since the beginning of the season, where he had kind of some struggles. 
And so hope that continues. Obviously, I think he's a player with a limited ceiling, but at the same time, been happy for him that he's had the type of season yeah. that he's had. Offensively, Greg, it might be a different story. We're talking about trying to bring back Levante David. You know, Bruce Aaron says the other day, Shaq Barrett's not going anywhere. Um, Chris Godwin is clearly a player that they love and covet, and and you could see at least maybe the tag for him. Um, so what happens then? You know, could you bring back all three of these guys? I'm really not sure you could, even with the Cavalier, and it's going to be tight to bring back all three. Two, definitely. I don't think you'd have to. You could. I think you could do two, and I think you might be able to keep Gronk on something cheap, and and Donovan Smith, and Ryan Jensen, maybe some little restructure here or there. But I think you could do it. But the reality is right now, Ryan Jensen's supposed to make 10 mil. Uh, uh, um, Donovan Smith's making more than that. And both of them, you can get out of their contracts. There's not the guaranteed money there. Right. What do they do? Like, what is the situation right now with those two this offseason? Who do you even – I know everybody thinks Jensen's the better player, but Donovan Smith plays the more valuable position. Do you right. want to move out Brady's left tackle in maybe the last year of his career? And so there's just a lot to consider with those two. Right. I mean, the, the first thing with Donovan has to be they love Tristan Wirfs. So the worst thing working against Donovan Smith is that he's not even the best tackle on his team right now. So um, if they decide they think Tristan Wirfs can be a left tackle, now all you have to do is buy a right tackle. You have to find a right tackle, which is a lot easier. Uh, Wirfs is inexpensive for three more years. So that's that's a huge cap savings. Mm. So unfortunately for Donovan, it's just, I mean, he has to justify not being on the team, but being on the team at $14 million. So if you're strapped for cash as they look to be, that seems like an area where they can move works over, find a right tackle. And your right tackle could be a second round pick. It could be uh, a mid-range free agent they have that, you know, has ties to their coaches or something like that. It won't be Joe Hay. Won't be Joe Hay. Won't be Joe Hay. Probably won't be Josh Wells. But they could go out and get somebody. Again, Jensen. I feel like Jensen has had a bond with Brady, um, has been a leader on this team, but he's making $10 million. So if if Andrews, if the Patriot Center is available and a good deal less expensive than Jensen is, and you feel like he still plays at a high level, that's a position where you could save some money. It's not that Jensen isn't bad, it's that he's expensive. And it's hard to justify being a $10 million player if they have bigger needs and other players that they value more than Jensen. So right. I felt like this offensive line was just a critical year because they had to play well to justify staying together. And they have. I mean, they've given up. 16 sacks in 13 games. They've oh, yeah. absolutely protected Brady the way you need to protect a 43-year-old quarterback. But I think just the circumstances of COVID lowering the cap, of them having so many decisions to make, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I'd be surprised if both those guys are back. I will say that. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it, especially if I just believe at the end of the day when you stack up those five – I think at the end of the day, Chris Godwin and Shaq Barrett are bigger priorities in the minds of the Bucks, and I think they'd really want to have Levante David back. I think it would be hard, you know, like you right. said, hasn't always gone the way they wanted to with those long-term guys. And I'm not saying he's as likely to be back as Godwin or or yeah. Shaq Barrett, maybe even at this point after what Aaron's was saying about him the other day. But um, at the same time, I think it's something that when you look at that, you know, I know they like Donovan Smith too. They like all these guys, but the reality is you can't keep everybody. And if you're trying to bring back those three and pay them what you need to pay them and maybe get some depth, you know, deep D line and bring Gronk back, you know, somebody's got to go. And so it's going to be a hard situation, I think. And you and I know this, Greg, moving a guy from right tackle to left tackle sounds great in theory, but it is not that easy, is it? It's not a given. That's the thing. It's not a given. And, and Wirfs has done amazingly well in this spot, but we don't know how he'd handle that. We don't you know. know. And, and I mean, I don't think that left and right are the two completely separate worlds they were five, 10 years ago, they're really good right tackles now that are better than their left tackles. But oh yeah, in this circumstance, um, to see the the upside you have with Worfs, where literally you're talking about him as, I mean, his good ones talking about him being an all pro yesterday, yeah. you know, not just a pro right. bowl, but one of the best two right tackles in the league. Um, you want to take advantage of that and you want to put him in the biggest position possible. And unfortunately, what you have on the left side is someone who's who's getting paid like a top five or top 10 tackle and probably isn't playing at that level right now. So um, whether they move on entirely, you mentioned trying to restructure things. I think it's probably more likely they move on than to try and ask them to take a pay cut and take a lesser role. So it's, it's tricky. Like I said, there are major decisions and it's a different decision if you're coming off like a, a trip to the NFC championship game versus one and done in the playoffs. You know, we don't know how much, if they make a good playoff run, they might want to keep everything together and might do things in spending they don't normally do to facilitate that. 
if they don't, they might be more willing to, to tweak things and change things. A lot of that will, will just hinge on how they do in the next whatever five weeks. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, it's one of those situations where you have to weigh a lot of different things. And then it's also like, what do you need and what could you get to replace them? Like you said, I mean, if you can get a center for cheap, you know, that's an easier position to replace typically than left tackle. Just the reality. I mean, if you want to replace a left tackle, you usually that's and you want a good player, you know, that's proven you have to pay that guy maybe. And, you know, you mentioned the switching from left tackle to right tackle and not being as hard. On the left side, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I think that's kind of a myth that, that playing left tackle is harder than playing right tackle. My biggest question mark is, can he handle that kind of a move? Not because it's harder to play over there, but because it's just different. different. You know, he, right. he's, yeah. His best position in college was also right. He played left a little bit worse early in his career at Iowa and wasn't as good. I mean, I was early, so I mean, who knows? Yeah. But And then he went to right tackle and, and was much, much better and has developed there. So you switch him. Do you want to move a guy that's played that well, you know, and, and mess up, mess with things a little bit. So it's, it, there's a lot of question marks, I think, and a call like that one, but absolutely. Yeah. So I think that they've got to kind of juggle a lot of those things this off season. Another one of those things they've got to juggle, Greg is, is Cam Bright. I know everybody loves him and everybody in the media loves him. I mean, Cam Bright's such an easy guy to like, and he is just such a great way about him. He took a pay cut this season to stay with the team, but reality is, I mean, he's due to make, I think six, six mil or so next year. And he's not, I mean, it's not even close. Like, right. I right. mean, they're hoping Gronk takes less than that for next year. I'm sure if you, if they want to bring him back. So really looks like Cam Brate's going to kind of be a cap casualty, right? Do you see any way? I mean, he would have yeah, to restructure no, again for way less money. I think. I mean, if, if you had a team that had a lot of cap, you could try and trade him, but, yeah. but I don't know that he gets $6 million a year right now in free agency. If he went on the open market, Cam, Cam's a, I, I, I think very highly of Cam Brate in terms of just, High, you know, high character, reliable. He's got 30 touchdowns. He's got pretty much the second best tight end in Bucks history. Right. Um, and again, but you can't have three tight ends making six million dollars a year. No, nobody in the league has that. So um, I, I would think if he wanted to stay, if he wants to win with Brady the same way he did this year, he, he can probably take a similar pay cut. I mean, it's that number that he's due to make this year. I think he probably knows that's not anything close to guaranteed. So if he came back for 4 million or for 3 million, that, that might be a good use of getting him for less, but I, I don't think he's likely to be back on the contract he has right now. Um, to some extent, I mean, again, OJ Howard got hurt. Gronkowski certainly has a history of injury. So you could keep a third tight end the same way you bring in Antonio Brown to guard against injury. But um I don't know that'll be the plan in the offseason as tight as things are from a, right. from a cap standpoint. That's exactly right. I just, you know, to me, I think you'd have to offer him, you know, very little. My three million might be the most, you know, in my opinion, for the Bucks. And I think he might get a little more elsewhere, but he probably doesn't get six elsewhere. So how hard is it to trade him this offseason if you wanted to trade him? Yeah. The window to trade him might have been in the season where a team could use him as a rental and pay him very little in the season and then move on from him after the season and you he'd be able to find his new team. So I'm not sure, you know. Love to see him try and trade him if they can and get something, even a late, a sixth, seventh or whatever for him. But reality is it seems, you know, unlikely. It seems like he might be one of those guys that is uh, kind of a cap casualty this offseason as much as everyone likes him. And, and you roll with OJ and Al Claire and hopefully Gronkowski uh, back uh, next season. And so a lot to consider for sure. A good question by Greg DeCruz, who always asks us some good ones. And uh, appreciate the super chat donation very much, Greg. Which coach could leave next year? Some key position coaches could get coordinator jobs. Let's start with a coordinator. Let's start with two coordinators, Byron Leftwich, Todd Bowles. What do you think, Greg? I mean, do you think these guys, they've been, their names have been thrown around. Obviously, Bowles has been a head coach before, and his name probably will continue to get thrown around if, as long as he remains with the Bucks. You think this is the year for him? There's a lot of hot names out there in the coaching market. Uh, it seems very competitive this offseason, not a ton of openings. Do you expect Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich, maybe a couple years away still? I don't know. We'll see. Do you expect those guys to get some interviews, maybe some consideration, maybe even a job offer this offseason? No, I do think they both can. And then some of it, again, hinges on what this team does. If they win out, if they win two playoff games, they could both be gone. Mm -hmm. If they go nine and seven and lose on the road in the first round of the playoff, probably both back. I mean, I think some of it is just how how hot a commodity your team is. I mean, Todd Bowles is, is a very much a known commodity, you know, as a coordinator has proven – probably I think everyone that sees what happened with him and the Jets knows, you know, didn't have a great situation to go into or come out of there. Byron Leftwich, again, I mean, as a guy who's a play caller, very young, uh, will come with good recommendations all over the league because of who he is. So, I mean, I, I would not be surprised. I don't think they're probably the two hottest names, but if this is an off season where there's five or six hires, they'll be right there. Um, and then, and then the question is if they leave, 
do the assistants, you know, go with them? Does, does a guy like Larry Foote become your coordinator or does he go with Bowles as his defensive coordinator somewhere? You know, it, it's, it complicates things when you lose someone because then your assistants are competing between two coaches they love working with. So, um, yeah, again, the more success they have, the more risk they have of losing the people that would be there for another run in 21, unfortunately. Right. And you mentioned Larry Foote. Harold Good- Goodwin has been right. kind of a guy that's assistant head coach here, run game coordinator. You know, he's a guy that's uh, clearly has leadership abilities um, that teams might be looking for in a role like that. Again, I, I don't think anyone expects him maybe to be a head coach, but is there a coordinator job? Is there a job that offers him to, the kind of the next step up the ladder to, to being maybe a head coaching candidate uh, at some point in time, you know, and, and Larry foot guy that's really highly thought of. And so, and, and maybe kind of a rising star in this business. And so, you know, those are, yeah, there's some options. I think that, that uh, these guys could have potentially some other spots after this season, but as it stands, I don't know that I would say that anybody is like, like, you know, you have a situation like the Rams, Brandon Staley was all over the news right. today. Like he's, he's going to get interviews. You know what I mean? Like not even surprised first year as a DC, but they probably have best defense in the league and look at all the stuff that they're doing. I mean, he's that guy's on the cutting edge of it. I don't know if anybody sees these guys with the bucks is like, we got to have these guys like before they're, you know, but I mean, like it was like that for a while with all the Sean McVay guys, like we got to get Matt LaFleur. I don't care how old he is. We got to get now. Like we got to get, uh, you know, Zach Taylor now, like while they're young, because they're the next big thing. And I don't know if anybody on the bucks has seen that way. Right. I mean, it's more of a, like a, these guys may be options if we miss out on our top options at the position. It might be. It feels that way. Yeah, it feels that way. Like when they were six and two, there was such a buzz around this team. Like, oh, they're going to lose multiple coordinators. Um, They're probably, you know. (laughs) Yeah, after the Packers game, after the Raiders game, they're they're winning, beating everybody by 20 points. Um, It seemed that way. And again, they, they could get back to that. If they win these last three and they go to, I don't, you know, I don't even know where they go right now. They go to LA or they go to Green Bay yeah. and they get a playoff win. That that will validate all the success they've had right there. And and Bowles, like I said, Bowles is is well respected across the league. Where that wouldn't surprise me. Leftwich is an absolute up and up and comer. Um, as young as he is to be a play caller on that side of the ball, that that's where the hot hires come is on the offensive side probably. So. Like you said, it, it's probably not the same buzz that uh, Brandon Staley has with the Rams or, or some of the other guys that are on red hot teams right now. Just because, I mean, the Bucks had lost three or four five days right. ago. So um, that can change in a hurry, I would say. Right. Yeah, that's true. It's his recency bias is a very, very real thing. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And so right. something that even teams have to kind of work against at some point in time. Greg, we're wrapping up here. Last question I have for you is Bucks Falcons. You've seen this matchup a lot over the years. The Bucks have probably rarely been as heavily favored as they'll be in this matchup against the Falcons. But we also know the Falcons are a good team. I mean, they are a tough team. They've been in every game. They're not like your typical four and nine football team. And so uh, how do you see this matchup and maybe even throw a prediction our way for the fans that are, or that are tracking that kind of thing? Yeah, it, it feels a little bit like the Vikings game did last week. It's on the road, which is different. Um, the Falcons are a team that's like the Vikings where they've had great games. They have other games that they were either fortunate to win or barely lost where they're kind of right there. Um, their defense gives up a ton, especially in the air. And, and that's probably what starts for me um, is that this is a team they should be able to throw for a lot of yards against. Right. Um Especially, I mean, the, the there's question marks on the Buck side that are completely random question marks where they might not have a kicker, punter, or snapper on <laughs> Sunday. And we just saw with the Vikings what can happen when you just don't get any points from special teams. Um, so that can be the big equalizer. But I do think they've kind of got some things in place where they're not going to be completely uh, Broncos at quarterback here on Sunday in terms of how they deal with what they're missing. But, uh, you know, Ronald Jones, if Ronald Jones isn't there, they're now given you know, 40 snaps to a guy who was a healthy scratch five days ago. So that that's a weird situation to be in. Um, we joke about Leonard Fournette. He could have like 120 and two touchdowns on Sunday. And we'd be like, yeah. Um, so right now I feel like uh, I'm very confident in the Bucks' ability to score against this Falcons team. I've seen Julio go for like 253 in that building against the Bucks defense. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to discount Matt Ryan's ability to answer that. Um, right now it feels like a higher scoring game. It feels a lot like the Vikings did going in last week where they have some really dangerous offensive weapons. If Julio's healthy, he and Ridley can be every bit the threat that, that Thielen and Jefferson were. I thought the Bucs did a really good job 
of containing those two and not giving up any big plays Sunday. They also could not, under any circumstances, get off the field. Um, so you don't want to have another game where you give up 40 minutes in time of possession, even if the Falcons don't have Gurley and are kind of behind a running back. So right now it feels like if I'm making a pick right now, it's like 35, 24 bucks, something like that, where they win and they score a lot of points and they cover and they pretty much all but clinch a playoff berth on Sunday. Right, right. I'll run through the injury report really quick and then we'll get out of here. Jamel Dean uh, was limited participant yesterday, but full participant today. Levante David, Rob Gronkowski, Steve McClendon, and Donovan Smith all not participating, but all not injury-related issues. Jason Pierre-Paul, limited participant like he always is, and Joe Haig was back at a full participation. So things trending in the right direction for the Bucks injury list. For the Falcons, things trending in the wrong direction. Ricardo Allen did not participate again in practice for the second straight day with a concussion. So tomorrow, huge day for him, obviously. James Carpenter, their guard, is, is still limited participant two days in a row. Marlon Davidson, the rookie defensive tackle, they'd love to see out on the field. Limited yesterday, did not participate today, so he's moving in the wrong direction. Uh, quadriceps injury for Darquez Denard. He did not participate either of the last two practices, yesterday or today. He's a, a guy that's a, a really critical kind of piece for a really young secondary. He's one of the only veteran guys. And Grady Jarrett was added to the injury report today with a groin injury, limited participant in practice. Julio Jones, again, did not participate today. So two days in a row for Julio. Alex Mack, not injury-related. He didn't participate, just a veteran day for him. Caleb McGarry for the second straight day did not practice, not injury-related either. Uh, Steven Means, their pass rusher specialist, was a limited participant for the second straight day. So was Calvin Ridley, a limited participant, again, with a foot injury. Um, so a lot of injuries for these guys. It's like 12 guys. I know, and a lot of those guys are starters. You know, Michael Walker, the one player who did – trend in the right direction. They're kind of coveraged uh, nickel linebacker, or a rookie uh, for them. He come, went from a limited participant to a full participant with a shoulder injury. So he's one of the guys moving in the right direction and their fullback Keith Smith, same thing, limited to full, but there's a lot of key guys. I mean, it, tomorrow's a huge day for Atlanta to maybe see what what's going on with a lot of those guys, you know, Ricardo Allen and Julio Jones, probably among the most notable Caleb McGarry uh, to see what there's those guys status is. And you mentioned Gurley too. So there's, there's kind of a lot up in the air with the Falcons right now in terms of what happens. So we'll examine things uh, next or tomorrow, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you, even, even if you count all the Bucks COVID guys, I think the Falcons are in worse shape right now in terms of just uncertainty and key people on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Uh, not there. And again, like yesterday you saw those numbers and you're like, well, maybe it's a Wednesday. Maybe they're just trying to give guys rest. If they're still out today, that that's problematic for sure. Right. For sure. Absolutely. It's one Thursday practice is kind of a one that kind of tends to dictate where, Things are trending, but we all know this. It's not a buck season without some kicker drama, Greg Allman. You know that full well, and we've got some. It looks like if Ryan Suckup is indeed going to be out uh, this Sunday. So there will be some some drama at the very least. You know, maybe Greg Joseph cashes in. Like I said, he made all seven of his extra points last year. You know, he's the guy that has a limited but good resume in the NFL. And so you hope that he can get up there and take care of business. Greg, thank you so much for joining, man. I appreciate you giving us some time and tons of insight. Really valuable for us and the fans. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. We'll have to do it again. Uh, if, if we're still talking football in January, we'll do it again for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to the next time already. Appreciate all you Bucks fans. Remember, we'll be back Sunday night, 7.30 p.m. We'll be live. We'll break down Bucks falcons and we'll talk about all that game and all the details, everything you need to know. Appreciate you all listening. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of the Pewter Report Podcast. Out!